What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And if this is your first time tuning into this show, I will let you know what this is all about. So this is the Dad the Man podcast. And what we do is we highlight the men, husbands, and fathers, the guys that we all know and look up to for what they do professionally, whether they're athletes or authors or businessmen, entrepreneurs, or they're writers, or you know them from television and movies or whatever it is that they do that we know them for, we respect them for. What we do is we show a peek behind the curtain and we get to see that these guys first are amazing husbands and fathers at home and then all the success that they achieve that's all that's all icing on the cake it's all the cherry on top but they're great husbands and fathers at home those are the guys that we're bringing on the show our mission here is to equip men with everything that they need to love and lead themselves their families and their communities in a better and more confident way and i want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this show today you could literally spend your time doing anything else in the world but you've chosen to listen to the show. My goal is to give you a good return on that time. It's something that I take very seriously, and I want to thank you very sincerely for tuning in to support us. If you learn anything today, feel free to share the show on social media or leave us a rating, leave us a review. All the support helps. I cannot thank you enough for the support. And lastly, before we dive in, we've mentioned this in the past, but we have now opened our Dad the Man Facebook group for the men, husbands, and fathers who listen to the show who want to connect on a deeper level We've all recognized that as men, husbands, and fathers, we are walking through so many of life's circumstances in a very similar way. So many similar circumstances. There is no point in doing this alone. Don't be the lone wolf. That's a fallacy. Don't be that guy. Come join us in the group. It's totally free. There will be a link in the show notes to the group, or you can go to Facebook. You can go to the group section, search for Dad the Man. It'll pop up. Come on in. Just request to join. We'd love to have you. Like I said, it's totally free. You have no excuse not to jump in. So today's guest is the Ken Coleman. Ken is America's career coach. He is the number one national best-selling author of The Proximity Principle and From Paycheck to Purpose. And he's also the host of The Ken Coleman Show. I read the book From Paycheck to Purpose while preparing for this interview, and I really enjoyed it. If you have ever felt like you are not fulfilled in your job, If you've ever felt like you don't have the juice, as Ken calls it, when you show up to work every day, then you need to read this book. I highly recommend it. This book will help you if you follow the steps that are outlined in it, I promise. What Ken does is he helps people discover what they were born to do, and he provides practical steps to make their dream a reality. His show, The Ken Coleman Show, is a nationally syndicated, caller-driven show, and what he does is he helps listeners who are searching for something more in their career. He helps them find it. The show is part of the Ramsey Network. It's a huge show. You can find it wherever um, you listen to this podcast. I know he's got the the podcast version of his his show on every platform. So wherever you're tuning in here, you can find his show as well. Go show him some love and support. So in this episode, Ken unpacks his story of how he was able to build this career. He had a job that he hated and he was able to build his dream career. And in hearing his story, what I really love about it is that he bet on himself. He doubled down, he created his own luck, and he built a career that he knew he was called for. And now he helps other people to do the same thing. I have so much respect for Ken, his journey, his story, and his work now. But above it all, he is an incredible man, husband and father, and it was an honor to host him on the show. So here's my conversation with the Ken Coleman. 
And we are live with the man who is known as America's career coach. He is the host of the Ken Coleman show. He is the one and only Ken Coleman. So Ken, I want to take a quick second here. I want to thank you so much for making some time for us today. I've become a big fan of, of you and your work and this, this mission that you're on and helping people find work, build careers that they love, they can fall in love with and grow with throughout the course of their career, find fulfillment and really be happy and, and just utilize the gifts that they've been given um, to the best of their abilities. You know, whether it's through all the content that you share, through your show, you're a guest on you know, countless other shows, and also your brand new book, From Paycheck to Purpose, which is awesome. I just finished it up. Highly recommend everybody check it out. Uh, but man, I'm just a huge fan of, of yours. Super excited to have the opportunity to have you on the show. So with all that being said, Ken Coleman, welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. So thrilled to be here, man. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So to kick things off, my favorite way to wade into these conversations is to rewind. So I like to go back to childhood and let everybody mm -hmm. get a chance to, to get to know you a little bit better right from the jump. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, family dynamic, what you were into, all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, let's see. I, I grew up in a, a two, two uh, child home. I was the oldest. My brother's three and a half years younger than me. My dad was a pastor in my entire life. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, small church. And uh, so watching my mom and dad serve people and love on people uh, in a very small, intimate, you know, environment. Grew up in a small town of West Virginia called Point Pleasant, town of 5,000 people. Uh, the area was so small that that town of 5,000 people was the county seat. Uh, and then at the age of 12, moved to Virginia on the coast and uh, spent the rest of my adolescence growing up there. And, um, you know, just a lower middle class family was the environment. And uh, yet I had no idea what I didn't have. Um, my, my dad uh, imparted onto uh, or imparted into, I guess is the way to say it, uh, a real love of history and a love of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that very much shaped who I am to this day. Yeah, very cool. So I, I alluded to you know, when I introduced you that you you do all this. You, your work is centered around helping people find careers that they love and and work that they could really pour themselves into. So for you, I know you've got uh, quite the story of how you got to where you are now. I know you went through your own personal journey of of starting your career, I guess, out of college, and then where you are now, pouring back into people. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your story and how you ultimately grew as a professional into work that you now love and you, you mm -hmm. uh, commonly refer to it as your dream job? Yeah, well, it's a long story, so I'll try to do the cliff notes and you dive in uh, in any area you want to. Um, I, at the age of 16, I was very, very confident that I was supposed to go into public service uh, in the area of politics, eventually run for office. And so I started out on that path. Um, by the time I was 23, I was working for the governor of Virginia, and I did that for about a year. And I hated it. The governing side was so slow and bureaucratic and just sucked the soul right out of me. And so I had my first experience of doing work that drained me, that didn't lift me. So I knew it was time to get out. I knew that I was eventually going to have to have a resume in business or leadership to best position myself to run for office. At least that was the, certainly the uh, the conventional wisdom of the path when I was, when I was much younger. And so um, I, I leave politics, work for the governor of Virginia, move to Nashville, get involved in public speaking through a speaker's bureau, one of the top 10 speaker bureaus in the country. So I'm booking celebrity speakers and, you know, uh, motivational business speakers. 
and uh, then had the opportunity to go work for John Maxwell in Atlanta, leadership guru, well-known. And so moved to Atlanta, and that was the place where I thought, okay, this is where God's got us. This is where we're going to kind of drop anchor here. And so picked a neighborhood, a district, you know, that was uh, favorable to possibly running one day. And so dove into, you know, the business side of things. And I'm fast forwarding a tremendous amount here. Um, realized over about a year period that I had lost all of the juice, the passion for politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just very disheartened by what I saw on both sides of the aisle and came to the conclusion that politics, running for office, being a public servant was not the area that I was supposed to be in after having, you know, basically spent most of my life aiming towards this. So while I was certain that it wasn't politics, I was very uncertain about what it was. And so that's a very disheartening, disillusioning, discouraging uh, place to be in. And that's the place I was in. And so I sat with it way too long because I was scared. Uh, I was uh, uh, dealing with fear and doubt and some pride. And I write about those, those three enemies extensively in the book from paycheck to purpose. And so through my journey of trying to figure out, okay, I know it's not this path that I was aimed at for so long, but I'm not sure what path to take going forward. Um, I, you know, begin the, the process of self-discovery, which now, you know, is the foundation for what I teach. And so it is from a, a place of experience, a place of um, confidence that I teach what I teach now, because I had to figure it out for myself. And so discovered at that point, uh, again, I'm fast forwarding here, so it's not to yep. meander too long. Uh, no, you're good. It was a long journey. We're talking about, <laughs> talking about uh, a long process here. Um, discovered that broadcasting was was the direction. But the challenge with that was, so it's the flip side. So now I'm, you know, I'm I was certain that it wasn't politics, but uncertain which way I wanted to go. Now I'm certain it's broadcasting, but having no clue how to get in it. Broadcasting is a yep. Broadcasting is a very uh, difficult field to uh, succeed in, and a lot of politics, probably more so than than politics itself, (laughs) Um, very competitive, lots of different directions to go, radio, television, different roles within those spots, different categories, genres, the whole nine yards. So it was uh, equally intimidating uh, to then say, okay, I know I want to go this direction, but I'm not sure you know, how specific the direction Mm -hmm. is supposed to be. So that's the backstory, the context by which everything that I teach and coach from uh, is that I've lived it. I've been there. I've experienced fear. I've experienced doubt. I've experienced pride. I have been rejected and told that I don't have the talent to make it on a national level. Uh, I mean, you know, I have, I have lain awake at night wondering if I'm delusional you know, all those things. So um, in, in the role that I get to play now, it's that story that gives me tremendous passion for people because I know what they're feeling. I know what they're thinking. How old were you when you, when that switch flipped in your head and you said, politics is not for me, I got to go in a different direction. How old were you then? 30, 31. Okay. And what was going on in your life at that point in time? Like, were you married? Well, you Did know, you get to that point? Yeah, well, I was married, no kids. Um, I think that 
uh, I, I'd have to go back. I'd have to sit there and really think about it. But um, there's no question that the restlessness coincided with turning 30. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, 30, any decade, you know, yep. uh, 30. I remember, I remember approaching 30 going, wow, where in the world has my life been? like? <laughs> felt like I got the 30 fast. Like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm very blessed. I was doing a lot and I woke up one day and I'm like, Holy crap, I'm going to be 30. And that's a milestone. And, uh, I don't know if that's this, I don't have any data to back this up. I don't know if other dudes are this way. Um, but for me, there's no question that that mile marker of 30, um, created a lot of reflection and I was at this point where I'm like, I've been pointed this direction for so long mm-hmm. and I'm 30 or about to be 30. Uh, and am I going to pull the trigger on this? And why am I dragging my feet? And so then the self-reflection of is politics really it? Mm-hmm. Because I was at least honest enough with myself to realize there was enough doubt there to go. Mm-hmm. That needs to be dug into. I, uh, I, can, I can second what you're saying. I just turned 30 this, this past year. I started this podcast at, at age 30. And a lot of that was just kind of a building, just a swelling. Like I was telling you a little bit before we came on, just like, I think there's something else that I'm supposed to be doing. I need to start moving towards something else. So I can definitely relate to that. But I think a lot of people, and I felt this myself, they get hung up on this idea of like, you know, I'm 30, I'm supposed to have something figured out by now. I think Talk right. to me about how humbling that was and like how much grace you had to give yourself, whatever that was like in you going on in your own head when you said, okay, I am going to, st- I am going to pursue this other thing. I am called to do something else. You know, I am going to, you know, looking around uh, at your peers, like you're kind of taking a metaphorical step back maybe so that you can take a step forward in another way. Like, was that a, pr- uh, like a hit to your pride? What's going on in your head at that point in time? Um, I think the, the most dominant emotion at that point was horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Two aspects of horrified, horrified that, um, that I'm just now realizing that this path that I thought was supposed to be for me is not it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Horrified at myself. Uh, Like, Oh my gosh, how did I miss this? Did I waste the last decade? That's just the way that I processed it. Yep. It was very, very difficult on myself. Um, and then that second aspect of horrified was, oh crap, what is it? And how am I going to figure it out? And, um, I'm sure it comes from a deep, deep place. I'd have to talk to a counselor about it, uh, a deep place of insecurity, but I also in, uh, on some level believe that it comes from a good place that, um, I was just always a kid. And I mean, a kid thinking about my life and I wanted to count. And, you know, I, I just always mm-hmm. had that. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a good amount of insecurity there trying to be vulnerable on that and, 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 and as honest as I possibly can. But I also desired to make a difference with my life. And I, I really wanted to make a difference in the life of people. And that was something that certainly was modeled for me by my mom and dad. And so that's, that certainly was a good motivator for me, a good reason to want to love and serve people. So mm-hmm. uh, from that standpoint, when I realized I didn't know what it was, I was horrified that I would miss the calling uh, of God in my life, which was um, something that I took very, very serious as a kid and still do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So that was that was the emotion, the, probably the dominant emotion. Mm-hmm. And then I, I don't want to skate over this. Um, I I was really, really, really um, regretful. I, I I took that first kind of emotion of horrified. I can't believe I didn't figure this out sooner. And then I ended up turning it towards myself and beating myself up a tremendous amount. Um, that I had wasted so much time. And I, so then the emotion became almost a form of depression, not mm-hmm. uh, certainly not going to diagnose depression, but it was, it was pretty dark in the sense of I was really down on myself and um, that I didn't know what it was. If it wasn't this, what is it? How do you know? And, and so they begin to kind of create this cycle of doubt and, um, and uh, disappointment that was just like this cocktail, this uh, doubt, I doubt, I doubt. And then I'm disappointed, disappointed, disappointed. So it was really, um, it was really disheartening is really the best way to describe that, that initial season of uncertainty. I think that's a position that a lot of people um, have probably found themselves in before. That's something I can, I can feel out of my heart a little bit as, as you're talking Mm -hmm. through it, that, Mm -hmm. that regret, like, Hmm. Where did it, where did I take the, the wrong left turn? Like what's, yeah. what's happening here um, from a career standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is like, what are the next couple steps look like? So you're working through trying to figure out a way to, I guess, to give yourself some grace so that you can think clearly to move forward. You mentioned the term self-discovery. What are those next couple months to a year look like where you say, okay, this is the path. Here we go. What does that look like for you? Yeah. What well, started with life mapping. Um, I have, I was fortunate to have some friendships with some world-class executive coaches, uh, in my working with, uh, John Maxwell. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I had a guy in particular named Pete, who was just a world-class guy on top of being a world-class executive coach. And he gave me all of his, uh, worksheets and stuff that he works through with executives. And mm-hmm. he's like, just go through this. I'll go through it with you if you want. But he goes, just, just do this. And so, I took all of his life mapping stuff and I began to look back on my life. It's a process of going back and looking for several patterns and clues and things of that nature. And, uh, um, you know, just dug deep and, and, you know, I, I, the way I would describe it is, is I spent a lot of time in rewind, you know, mm-hmm. rewinding my life up to that point. And, um, I don't remember the day I wish I had some great, I've been asked this question before and I, I feel like apologizing for it. I don't remember the exact day, the exact moment when I got total clarity, but I do remember the day that I got the idea that I then was like, that's really interesting. And my wife was in, we had no kids at the time. And my wife was on a trip to New York with her girlfriends. They were going to Broadway. And so um, I was home for the weekend by myself and I, um, I went to dinner with some friends from work and, uh, and it was a Friday night and I called Stacy and, you know, right before she went to her show. And so she was going to be doing her show and I'm at home. And one of my favorite TV shows of all time, certainly back then was a show by a guy named Larry King. It's called Larry King live. He was a legendary old school broadcaster. And it was an interview show where he would sit elbow to elbow with, you know, newsmakers and celebrities and all that stuff. So it was my favorite show and I TiVo'd it for those of you who know what TiVo is. And so um, I remember sitting down that night in my living room by myself, all the lights out, the glamorous life that I 
live and I'm watching Larry King and he's interviewing Oprah. And this is when Oprah's like at the top, yep. you know, like she's as hot as she ever was in this moment. And at some point in the interview, he asked her, he said, Oprah, would you ever run for U.S. Senate from Illinois or would you even entertain running for president? She's like, oh, no, Larry. And by the way, I write about this in the book. And um, we went and found the transcript for this, by the way. It was so fun. Because I was, I was remembering it when writing the book, but we actually yep. went and found the transcript so that we could get it accurate. And uh, so if it's not exactly this, we have the transcript in the book. Uh, but she basically just dismisses it and he does the right follow-up question. And he says, well, you know, why, why so certain or something to that effect? And she was like, Larry, between my show, every day, my magazine, O Magazine, the live event tour, uh, she goes, I can influence more people for the positive through those platforms than I ever could if I was a senator or even president. Because the minute that I'm president, half the nation hates me. Or, or you know, she said something to that effect. And it was like a tuning fork went off inside my chest. And that was really interesting to me. And that's when broadcasting became a viable alternative. Mm -hmm. So I go back to my life mapping. And now I've got this idea because I've always been a kid who was on stage my whole life. And I love the attention and I don't get nervous when it's my turn to talk. And just, you know, I'm one of those freaks like that. And, and so begin to follow the patterns and the clues. And it became very, very clear that I was always a performer. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean like as in an artist, but just true usage of the word yep. to perform um, can take on many different contexts. So that was that was the moment when I began to really see. And not too long after that, I realized, man, I, I think it's broadcasting. But then, you know, it's like, how the crap do I get into that? You know, I don't have a degree in it, um, you know no experience. And so anyway, that's, that's how I got on the path of broadcast. I think that's so cool that when you really went back, you went back to your notes, you thought back on your life, you had that, the tuning fork moment, like you said, and you realized it was something that was kind of in you going all the way back to your childhood being a, yeah. just being a performer. Yes. Back to kindergarten. That's amazing yeah. to me. That, that yeah. conversation that's come up a couple of times on the show. Now, people talking about things that have you know, something that they found a lot of interest in, a lot of passion and a lot of just excitement towards later in their lives. You know, for me, it's something that I'm kind of finding now at age 30. I'm going back to things that I was pumped about when I was 10, but just kind of got suppressed over the last 20 years through yeah. no wrongdoing or anything, but whether it's just, you know, getting busy with school, getting busy with other things yeah. and then getting married, having kids and and it's like, oh, there's this whole artistic side that kind of got buried once upon well, a time. Well, you got to listen to that because um, it's 1979. I'm a kindergartner, second semester, and my kindergarten teacher comes in the class one day, and it was Mrs. Murray. And Mrs. Murray, I don't remember how she said it. I don't remember many details, but she said something effective that the high schoolers are doing a drama, and they need a kindergarten boy who's interested in trying out or being the newspaper boy in the play. And before before I could even process it, all I remember is doing this number, you know, where you push your hand up really high. And I was the only person that volunteered and I auditioned for it and I got it. And I'll never forget opening night. You know, there's 800, 900 people in the church auditorium and I'm a kindergartner and I've been rehearsing this whole time with high schoolers. I don't remember many details because I was so young, but mm -hmm. I remember opening night feeling like I was going to throw up and just scared out of my mind. But I also remember feeling that I wanted to do it mm -hmm. at five. 
And I also will never forget until my last breath, the feeling the first time when I delivered my first line and the crowd laughed and something awoke inside of me that was already there. And it was as if the creator of the universe was lighting my pilot light. And I'm telling you, I remember it like it was yesterday and I had the applause and the laugh. Here I am five. I don't even know what's going on. You know, I can't even tie my shoes probably. And yeah. I'm looking around the crowd and I can see the, the, the eyes of other people and I could sense the approval and then I could feel what was going on inside my chest. And you just have to remember stuff like that. And for me, um, that's the kind of stuff I remembered in the life mapping process. And, you know, to this day, it's like, you know, I, I come alive when I'm, when the lights on and when the stage is there and people are there and, you know, that's just something that's in me. And, and again, for someone else, that same feeling happens when they start working on an engine or mm-hmm. when they sit down to write um, or when they sit across from somebody and hear their deepest thoughts, you know, we all have that, mm-hmm. that innate passion, which is love for a certain type of task or work and our life, no matter how rough your upbringing was um, or unspectacular, the clues are there. They're absolutely there. That reflection going back to you being five years old is so powerful to me, not just, you know, for, for you or for me or for anybody listening, just for ourselves, but I think even equally as so for us as parents, I think about that with my kids or my, they're right. two, two boys, five and three. And they're at that age where it's kind of like, you know, they're one's about to start kindergarten and they're kind of, they're about to start hopping on the natural progression of life that we all go through. And it's hearing you say that is lighting something up in me to, to just pay extra close attention to whatever it is that really lights them up now. Because I, I mean, if there's any way I can foster that, kindle that fire, you know, blow oxygen on that fire now when they're young and just let them kind of carry that with them rather than, you know, maybe like the, like what I just mentioned, something that was in me at 10 that I'm rediscovering at 30 or for, you know, you had your passion that you found at five and you didn't, I guess, you know, find the right manifestation of it until well, a little bit later. This is, so this is very important if I can speak to dads. Okay. Cause I'm 48 or not 48 yet, but I'm almost 48. So at this point in my life, I don't care about birthdays. Um, and I'm raising three teenagers. If I could speak to dads of youngsters and even teens. The reason that I told the story about me as a kindergartner is because you must understand that the talent that I now manifest every day was in me at the age of five. It was just a ball of clay. And I don't know if, if, if any of you have ever had the opportunity outside of the movie Ghost and all you young dads are like, what's he talking about? What's a ghost? But it's a classic movie, by the way. You should all check it out. Uh, but when the potter takes clay, I've actually seen real potters make pottery up close, and it's fascinating. They take a ball of clay, and it's an inanimate lump, right? All different shapes, but it's just a big old lump. And they take it, and they put it on the wheel, and with water and with the friction of the wheel, they begin to shape that lump of clay into something very very specific and very very usable whether it be a a bowl or a coffee mug or whatever so the talent that your boys have it's already in them it will be sharpened into skill later on 
but the <laughs> talent's already there. And that's what's so exciting about this. Uh, I love speaking to parents about this because every parent wants their kid to be successful, but we live in a world where our education system is beating curiosity and wonder out of our kids. And yet they come into this world hardwired to wonder. It's why they ask hundreds of questions a day, not to be obnoxious. They're trying to get to the bottom of everything because everything is wonderful. I mean, the root word of wonderful is wonder. I wonder or wonder, you know, and this is the heart of a child. This is who we are. And yet we live in a world where certainly in America, the education system is beating curiosity out of our kids because of our system. We're creating test takers, not pathfinders. And it's up to you parents, dads, to help your kids find their unique path. And it will start with, in the early days, watching their natural talent begin to emerge. Understand that it might look one way when they're seven and look very different when they're 17. But that is the natural shaping of the clay, if you will. So mm-hmm. enough on that. I, I know you got more questions, but I, it's really important that you can see things in your kids mm-hmm. early on and you need to mark that and then feed it. And what I mean by feeding it is they don't know what they want, and what they like, and let them try <laughs> a million things. I'm all for diversification when it comes to kids and activities. Let them try a lot of things. However, when you see a talent, feed it, give them multiple ways to try that talent and apply that talent. And uh, that's one of the greatest things you can do because eventually there will be a marriage between talent, what they do best and passion, what they love to do. Now that, you know, with every person it's, it's, it comes along in its own time, but I can tell you this, uh, there is no passion for something that we suck at except golf. It's like yeah. the one thing, like <laughs> yeah. I suck at golf, but I really love playing. What kind of things do we need to be looking for in our kids? Like, what are the, what are the, what are the things that we should be saying? Okay, there it is. That's the thing we need to pour into it. Well, let's just start with uh, things they do well. Right. So let's mm-hmm. just pay attention early on. You know, um, it, it could be, uh, it could be as simple as your son or your daughter. Um, one of them is more organized than the other. You know, now boys in general are slobs. I got two of them and I have a daughter. Thank God I have a daughter. It keeps me sane. You know, boys are amazing. Girls are amazing. They're amazing in their own way. But like boys are slobs, you know, like I walked into my boy's bathroom the other day and I was like, guys, I called them both in. And I said, this is squalor. And they were like, what is squalor? I'm like, look it up because you're living in it and it's not going to happen in my house. This is disgusting. I need a hazmat suit to stay in here longer than a minute. This is the nature of boys. However, my point is, whether it's a boy or a girl, you might see that early on, you know, six or seven, their closet seems to be maybe more organized than the other, right? So you pay attention to that. You go, now that's God-given attention to detail. Mm -hmm. You didn't teach them to do it. They just looked at them. I like my boots to be lined up this way. And the other kid's got one boot over by the curtain, (laughs) one stuck in the blinds. You know, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You begin to just notice. That's just one silly example. Certainly athletics. Mm-hmm. Uh, music and the creative arts, you, you tend to see talent there. Um, here's one. Hi, parents. How about you stop freaking out over the C's or the occasional D and you get real excited about the A's because there's, there's better information in the A than there is in the C and the D. But see, as we as parents in this 
in this world we live in, we freak out over the C's and D's. And quite frankly, the C's and D's, nothing to freak out over. I dropped college algebra eight times. I don't have a college degree, largely because of algebra. That part of my brain is dormant. If you put a thing on it right now, it'd just be like, nothing. Just telling you, it's a fact. Well, it turns out that God knew what he was doing because I don't do anything with math outside of my iPhone. I don't do my own taxes because I'd go to jail, not because I'm dishonest, but because I failed my accounting class in high school. It's a true story. I, I hire somebody to do my taxes. That way I don't go to jail. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we think about this. We laugh when I say things like this, but it's like we don't parent that way. So I want to look into the A's. Why the A? What's the difference between the A? Is it the teacher? Is it the classroom? Is it the subject? Is it a combination? What's different about the A than different about the D? So my point is, you look all over places and you were looking for talent first. What are they just naturally good at? And then you feed that a little bit, but then you watch their eyes light up as it relates to passion, which how often do they do it? What do they love? You know, like my daughter, Josie, this kid was born to be a performer. Stacy and I didn't have to sit her down and show her Disney tunes or whatever. She just was singing from the moment she could utter a word. She loves musicals and dance and all that. So we, what we saw early on with Josie was is that she really loved all that stuff. So, of course, it's early. Of course, she loves princess movies. She's a little princess, right? We treat mm-hmm. her that way. She oh, loves yeah. the Disney dresses, the heels, the whole nine yards. But we just keep feeding it, keep it. And then she wants to do this. She wants to try out for a commercial. So she did it. She didn't, she liked it. You know, she doesn't even know what's going on. We just kept feeding it, let her do more yeah. stuff. And, and now she's also a very good soccer player, but she stopped playing soccer two years ago, much to her daddy's dismay. Uh, but she's all musicals, singing, acting, dancing. So, you know, she now says what I say about her. She'd be embarrassed to know that I said this, but she goes, dad, I'm a triple threat. And she's heard me call her triple threat since she was eight. Yeah. But now she sees it and believes it. Yes. And and so singing, dancing, acting is her jam. So, you know, this is not as complex as we make it out to be. The um what you were saying about, you know, praise the A's and don't worry so much about the occasional C and D. That made me think of something, just the contrast of feeding into, I guess, the natural talents of one child. So for example, I'll use mine as as an example. My oldest, he's obsessed with sports. Like he loves his baseball team like he's all like every day dad let's go play catch let's go play catch which i love like that's easy for right. me i, I yeah. was i was that kid too my youngest who's three has no interest at all in that oh. and what i'm trying to do is not say hey kid number one is great at this kid number two is not great at this but say hey kid number one is great at this what what is number two looking to be good at so not yeah. using one kid as a bar for the other kid I That's found right. myself like just making that mistake before, like, come on, buddy, you're going to throw with us too. And he's just like, dad, I don't want to throw the baseball. I just don't. So I'm trying to be mindful of that. But the way that you articulated that, that made that, made that really like that made the light yeah. go off. So all me. you have to do is pay attention to, you certainly invite him, mm-hmm. right? So you yep. keep inviting him. Hey, you want to come throw the ball with me and your brother? Because one a year from now, he might change his mind. Mm-hmm. it's too early to know a whole lot at three and four and five and six. Yep. So I would keep inviting, but when he says no, 
don't show any outward disappointment because kids pick up on that stuff and just be like, okay, buddy, well, let me know what you want to do. Daddy will play with you. What do you want daddy to play with you later? Mm -hmm. And that's how I would respond to that. Cause it might be dad. I just want to play cars cause he's in the cars right now, but you know, he may wake up one day on a Saturday morning and, you know, throw a ball at you. You know, you just don't know, but as he develops, um, you're just paying attention to what he's interested in. And, uh, and then you feed it, feed yep. their interest. That's all you've got to do. And I want to highlight that point that you made about how, how, you were just saying, be careful how you react, show no sign of disappointment. One thing I've learned with, especially the, even just these little kids, they're so emotionally intelligent. They pick up on what I'm going to say long before the words come out of my oh, mouth. Dude, I can, I can I, see yeah. them receive oh. my body language, which oh. is terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, you know, I, and I'm not knocking my dad on this, but I mean, I learned this from my dad, you know, my brother is three and a half years younger than me. And he's a hunter and my dad's a hunter and they love to hunt. You know, me, I mean, look at me for heaven's sakes. I, 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 you know, I just say that and people always laugh. They kind of get, it. I mean, I, I, I like hunting shows. Uh, I find it to be interesting. Uh, I think if you took me out at three 30 in the afternoon and put me in a deer stand and guaranteed that a deer was going to walk past me within 30 minutes, I'd probably love hunting. But I don't have the temperament for hunting. I don't want to get up at five and spray deer piss on myself and sit in the cold for four hours. That like that to me is like torture. Yeah. Okay. My, my dad and brother love that stuff. So I remember when I was like 16, 17, my brother's 13, 14, my dad would say, Hey, you want to go hunting with me and Jamie tomorrow? And I go, No. And I my dad was just so disappointed. And, and I understand why. He wanted us to be together and his two boys out in the field. And I, you know, and if I had to do all over again, I would have went, yeah, yeah. And I probably would have suffered through it to make my dad happy. But the bottom line is the only thing that came out of that was my dad is disappointed in me because I don't want to go hunting. Now I'm just keeping it real. Now mm-hmm. I've done that to my boys, you know? And so I'm speaking not from a place of authority. I'm speaking from a place of, of reality and and so it's hard to do uh, i've gotten much better at it and i've had to let go of that because i got one boy who is built for sports and he's just like eh. and he's playing but he could be dominant but you know what it's not his jam he's going to be dominant in another area and i'm cool with that so but how old are your I kids struggle. 16 and 13 uh, excuse me 16 14 and 13 Gotcha. So you're moving to, you were talking about the education system that made me want to ask the question your kids are, I guess, getting closer to that age where they're looking towards graduating high school. I've heard you talk about college, like having an Mm -hmm. honest evaluation of, is this the right move based on what I want to do with my life? How are you navigating that with your kids now? Are they, are they wanting to go to college? Are they wanting to go a different, different direction? Are they unsure? How are you handling that? Well, you know, I, I will tell you this, I live what I believe. And so it makes my wife uncomfortable. And if she were sitting here, she would tell you she has her master's degree. I don't have a degree. Um, I think college is largely irrelevant except for a handful of industries. And so that, Mm -hmm. that always pisses some people off and that's okay. I I just look at it objectively. And so as I explain my answer, I'll give you my methodology. If college is the only way to get qualified to do what you want to do. So we'll throw out the easy ones, doctor, lawyer, chemist, you know, astronaut. Yeah, those are fields where you're going to have to have a degree and work your way up. 
but if, it, if it's not the only way or it's not the best way, then there's another way. And we're seeing that increasingly. So I am very pragmatic about my view on college. I'm not anti-college. I had a wonderful college experience other than I didn't get a degree, but I figured out I didn't need it. And I went to work. So I'm pragmatic. So if anybody ever hears me say this, understand, I'm not anti-education. In fact, I'm all about education. I'm just saying, what's the right type of education? So I'm very pragmatic. And, and I will tell you that I live my life <laughs> largely around convenience. I'm a creature of convenience. Why would I spend four years at $150,000 when I don't have to spend four years? on Like, that's just the way I've always been wired. Like, stupid. Uh, so anyway, enough of that. With my own kids, look, my oldest is... Um, says he wants to go to college. Uh, he has a learning challenge, dyslexia, which I'm an advocate for dyslexic. I'm very, very passionate about the issue. Um, and so academics can be very, very hard for a lot of dyslexics. Uh, but they're brilliant. And he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's going to be wildly successful. He wants to go to college. So if he wants to go to college, I'm not going to say, is it the best way? Or the, I'm not going to like go all Ken Coleman on him. I'm just going to be his dad. And so, you know, he'll go to college. Um, but if he just figures it out that it's not the best path, I'm going to be over in the corner going, you know what I mean? Like, cause that doesn't, I don't take any status off of where my kid gets his diploma. I don't give two craps about it. Um, cause I'm very public on my position and I believe it. Um, my other two, you know, one will probably go for sure. Josie, the entertainer. I mean, to be honest with you, again, my wife would not be very comfortable with this, but with Josie, if she really decides that she wants to go into entertainment and be a performer, um, traditional college doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, I, mm -hmm. I'm going to be dad, not Ken Coleman, author, speaker. I'm going to be their dad. Uh, so I, I want them to, you know, I'll give them advice when they ask for it. Uh, but I also am a big believer in letting your kids chart their own path. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, what we're talking about here is not the path of destruction, right? They're not going to go into debt for college. So if they choose to go to college, I'm not going to like get into some philosophical pissing match with them. You know, there's, yeah. Have you, uh, have you found it to be hard to, I guess, walk the walk on that with your oldest, giving them the room to to really make that decision for themselves no, and get to battle that. No, I find it tremendously easy. That's great. And the reason is, is because I know what I believe and why I believe it. So yeah. even when my, and again, Stacy and I aren't fighting over it, but I mean, mm -hmm. Stacy, Stacy got her master's degree in broadcast journalism. She, she comes from a long line of people, a lot longer than the line I'm in. Mm -hmm. College is probably the best way. Yeah. And I just, uh, through life experience and let's just be very clear. I'm, it's not lost on me, folks, that I'm a college dropout and that I was a C student my whole life when I probably could have pulled A's and B's. I, I, can't, I mean, that's just who I am. But I, but I mean, mm -hmm. I, but, but I know that I'm a person who does not win in the system. Mm -hmm. For the kids who win in the system, parents are listening to this. They're like, Ken, I don't even know what you're talking about. I barely even think about my kids' homework. They come home, they do their stuff, they get good grades. Good for you. It's fantastic. Guess what? That was my brother. <laughs> well, I mean, I cost I could... my mom and dad so much stress over my grades. It's, <laughs> but I mean, again, so I'm fighting for the kid who's like me, mm -hmm. who the system will discourage if we're not careful. 
Yes. And I, I appreciate you, you know, just asking that question publicly. I think that's important. I was, I was the firstborn and I was a little stereotypical in that role. The system worked great for me on paper. Yeah. Worked great, great for me. Like I always yeah. make good grades, got a, got my CPA license. I'm an accountant. Like I've gone that way. But as we were talking about before, I think, and maybe it's because I did well in the system, a lot of that curiosity and that flame that was there at an early age kind of just got beaten out of me, I think a little bit. And now it's 100%. almost, I'm, now I'm looking back like, do I need to rewind the last 20 years? Like, am I, try, am I going to have to unwind all this to now say, oh, this is what I was into when I was 10? Um, yeah, so level, I think that's that. a very important point because see, you excelled in the system and thus the rules work for you. So of course you follow the rules. It didn't work for me, so I had to make up my own rules. I, I was like, this isn't making any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, why would I do this? Like, I was the kid who failed two classes my senior year because I didn't do the final project, and it drove my dad nuts. He's, and I, I'll never forget. Like, I'm literally, it's graduation day, and my report card comes, and I come zinging into the house with all my buddies. We're graduating today. Like, I'm graduating. I'm already <laughs> off to college. And he's like, you got two Fs. What is this? And I went. I didn't finish my final project. And I'm like, what are we upset about? He's about ready to lose his mind. And I'm yeah. like, I had already, he goes, what are you thinking? I go, I'd already got my diploma. I hate this classes. I'm never going to use that stuff. This is, I'm 17 saying this stuff. Yeah. So I don't recommend it. I'm just telling you, <laughs> that's why I fight for the kids like me. Cause we're not renegades. We're not losers. We're not troublemakers. It's just, we figured it out. We don't belong in the current system. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just telling you, I know it's freaking some people out, freaking my publicist out of here. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, that's just who I was. But that's not that I'm any different than a lot of other kids. When you just go, wait a second, I don't belong in college. I don't belong in this setting. I know I'm supposed to be over here. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Well, it's like the world and the, the job market and just everything has evolved at such an unbelievable rate. And our education system largely hasn't changed at all. No, to keep up. So now it's like you come out to get a job. You come out of college qualified to get a job that existed 40 years ago. And it's like the relevant pieces of the of the information that were in there. Like I've said this about, you know, you want to become an accountant, get in the CPA. I think it'd be much more valuable just to have a trade school where you could go and just do a condensed version, maybe a year long. You could you could learn everything you need. I've done it. You could definitely do it in a year. 100 percent. Let me ask you a question. If, if, if my son, one of my boys said, dad, I want to be an accountant. Mm-hmm. And, and they were like, but I don't want to be a CPA. I don't want to go to college. Could I just learn how to do bookkeeping and accounting? Mm-hmm. And I called you up and I said, Hey, if I pay you, could you create a starter course that would get them to the point that they could get an entry level accounting bookkeeping job? What would you say? I would say that's a, that's a need that probably needs to be filled. Because I'm saying, I think, but you could do it. I'm saying, yes, yes, yes. You could, you could train one of my sons to where they could get an entry level job as a bookkeeper or an accountant. Forget the fancy mm-hmm. letters behind their name, but to mm-hmm. actually do the job, oh, you yeah. have the knowledge to where you could train them. Old school apprentice, like if they lived above your garage. I'm being re- yeah. ridiculous to make a point. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So what, so, absolutely. So what are we doing? Thank to you. To your point, there ought to be a trade school for just about everything. I can't figure out how that hasn't happened yet. Oh, trust me. It's going to. What do you think the timeline is? I, I have, I've staked uh, the claim think, that it's going to happen before my kids get to college. Oh, you absolutely will. I yeah. would say that 
in the next five to seven years, you're going to see a seismic shift. Seismic shift. Because here's what's happening. You got this current group of kids that are in college that mm-hmm. either started pre-pandemic or started right around the time of the pandemic or mm-hmm. a couple of years before the pandemic. And when everybody got sent home and everything was online classes, but you still had to pay for the tuition. <laughs> and wait till. So that's one thing. So yep. that's a seismic shift. Huge. Second factor. Companies like Google that are creating their own six-month training programs. You want to get a job at Google, you can get in their training program and they train you. It's school. It's the University of Google. And they hire you. More big companies are going to do that. We've seen, I think it's Ernst & Young, mm-hmm. one of the world's great accounting firms, yep. set, a couple years ago removed the requirement for the degree for a lot of their jobs. Um, I think they're starting to do some of the in-house training too, like Google. Of course they are. So other big companies are going to start doing the same thing. They're going to wait Mm -hmm. a second. These kids come out of school and they're not trained to do what we need and I can get them right out of high school, you know, whatever, whatever. So that's, that's those. So the first thing is the pandemic. Second thing is, is people train companies training for what they actually need. We're seeing technology schools right now. Nine months. I endorse a company called Bethel tech nine month program, less than 15 grand. And, and our students that are coming through the Ken Cole show are starting at $75,000 or higher. Wow. Okay. My point is it's already happened. Okay. Then here's the third shift and we're sitting right in the middle of it. It's about ready to go. Boom. Okay. Biden is promising and rattling the cage. Well, we're going to try to forgive student loans or we're going to forgive uh, $10,000 of student loans for Families making up two hundred fifty dollars. All a bunch of nonsense and sa- saber rattlings. All it is. Mm-hmm. Here's why: the federal student loan program for decades has been a major money maker for the federal government. Who among you, whether you're conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat, thinks that the government is going to shut down student loan program? Well, they didn't say that. They said they were going to forgive. Okay, okay, okay. All right, let's play this out. If they forgive loans for everybody currently or up to a certain point, what about all the kids that are in line coming out of high school the next time? What? You're going to forgive these, this amount? How far back do you go? What about me? I paid my student loans back. Do I get mm-hmm. my money back? People are going to be storming the castle with pitchforks. It's not going to happen. And I'm not trying to dash anybody's hopes. I'm just trying to speak real common sense. The government's never going to do it. It's not politically advantageous on either side. Mm-hmm. You're going to piss a bunch of people off. So I got news for you. It's not going to happen. So those three factors all together in the next five to seven years, college is going to, is going to look very different. I believe it's going to be decentralized, going to break apart into little pieces. And I think that uh, all these, these wealthy schools with all these big old endowments are, are going to be, uh, figuring out a new business model. I just, I just don't see the next 10, 15 years, higher education being this, this rite of passage to success that it's been marketed as I'm trying to destroy that. I'm just getting started. Yeah. I love it. Cause I, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like I said, I, I went to school, I went to college, did the whole thing. I did well I, on paper. I did it all the right way, but I spent a lot more time not doing anything related or anything. I will say I had spent a lot more time with doing the destructive things than constructive things when I was in college for, you know, the four years plus the year for, for grad school. I'll just say that didn't really need it. One year could have knocked it out. Would have been a lot cheaper. Would have been a lot more focused. Would have 
yeah, I wouldn't have, you know, fortunately I didn't have debt, but like everybody else that come out with debt, that is more than their annual salary. And that's a bad equation. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so for anybody listening, I hope that you, and you have kids, whether they're, you know, my kid's age or kids, kids age, and they're, they're getting closer to that line. I just, I hope that you'll consider this with an open mind and try to think objectively common sense thinking and try to not, you know, hang your hat or have any personal prestige or ego associated with what your kids do. Cause I think that's, you alluded to it before, you know, there's nobody parents out there. They attach their own ego to it. Nobody cares where your kid went to school. You're the only person that cares. And the only reason you care is because you want your neighbors and friends and family to be impressed. You want the nobody, bumper sticker on your car in the driveway. It's everybody. Sees nobody it. cares that junior went to Clemson. He had nothing to do with the success of the football team. Get over it. I love it. Um, so last question, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I'm actually going to, I'm going to ask two last questions. I ask everybody right. to come on the show. So first one's a fastball. Can, what are you the most proud of? And the answer cannot be your family. So what else are you the most proud of in your entire life? Um, I'm proud of my persistence professionally. It was a very hard journey, seven and a half year journey, um, from those early days of watching Larry King and Oprah talk to getting an opportunity to come to Ramsey Solutions, another three years of paying my dues um, to get the opportunity to do this. So uh, since you made me say not failing, I'm just, I'm, I'm proud of how hard I've worked and, and then I stayed with it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, um, I'll tell you, I took a lot of motivation and inspiration just from reading your book. You talked about studying all the, the Larry King tapes and everything like that. And I, I the first thing I did, I was listening to, to the book on audio when I got through the chapter. I like pulled up a, my notepad with my to-do, to-do list and put that on there. Like, got to make a point, got to start studying some of these guys, like really become a master of your craft. That was something yeah. that I pulled out of the book that I really enjoyed. Yeah, so I'll just give you a very quick story to encourage those of you that are in the wilderness you know, and you're hustling, and you don't think anybody's noticing. Um, last week at our signature leadership event, Entree Leadership Summit, um, and I've been I've been blessed to interview so many A-listers that it would sound like I'm bragging. But um, on Tuesday afternoon, after ha- after having spoke on Monday, uh, I was interviewing Nick Saban, arguably one of the greatest coaches to ever hang a whistle on his neck. And I'm sitting there in front of 3,000 leaders and I'm interviewing Nick Saban. And multiple times while I'm interviewing him, he's answering the question. I'm sitting there going, and I'm literally thinking back to doing high school football play-by-play on the internet, you know, going down on the field before the games and trying to interview the coaches. Like, who is this clown? Oh, I'm with Complete Game Broadcast. We're doing the show up in the booth on the internet. They're just looking at me and, you know, treat me like I've got, you know, a disease. (laughs) You know, those early days of just humble beginnings, like just doing whatever and going, why am I doing this? I could be home with my wife and three kids. Um, and, and then sitting there across from Nick Saban, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the hard work and staying with it when you feel like quitting and going, is this ever going to work out? That's, so just a story on that, that, you know, it, it, it pays off, but man, it feels very, very lonely and very, 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 very untouchable for a long season. That's uh, that's lonely is a good word for it. I could I can relate to to the feeling. Yeah. Um, so, so the so the last question here has to do with the word legacy. 
Legacy is a word that gets tossed around a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, generational wealth is something that gets attached to it a lot. But I try, I tend to think of it through a different lens. I think about the people who mean the most to me here on planet Earth, and I also think about the people that, God willing, I will leave behind on Earth. So within both of those buckets fall my children. Yeah. And when I think about legacy, I think about the moments, the memories, the lessons, just the little things that they're going to remember about time spent with dad, that whenever God willing, like I said, I get to leave them behind on earth, they'll get to live the rest of their life with, and hopefully maybe pass on to their, to their kids and everyone that they mm-hmm. interact with as well. So through that lens, if I were to toss that back to you and say, Ken, what do you want your legacy to be with your kids? How would you answer that? Uh, you know, something to the effect that I, I want them to have a very clear, uh, confident thought that um, dad cared more about mom and us than he did notoriety and accomplishments and those things. Um, you know, they, they've grown up seeing me do stuff on TV. And so that's such a non-big deal to them. Uh, and so I think the role of husband and father to know that they know that I took it serious and did the best that I possibly could uh, and loved them as best as I possibly could, that they were first, always first. Um, above anybody else, above anything else, that's, uh, that would be, that's what we're aiming for. I love it. Ken, thank you so much for making some time for us today. Such an honor to have you on, man. That was a fun conversation. Really enjoyed um, everything we just chatted through. So tell us, where's the best place to find you, follow you? Where do you want to send people? Yeah, KenColeman.com. Thank you so much for asking and for having me. We have tons of resources there, free resources. We have uh, several products there that I think can help a lot of folks. And so they can connect with us for the show uh, there as well as any social media, KenColeman.com. And I just want to say it's really fun to talk to a young guy who's charging hell with a water pistol. And and I love that you started this thing and you're seeing it through. Um, I think you're, you're doing good things. And when you can encourage other dads, um, that is an exponential investment that you're making. And you'll never know the returns this side of heaven. I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot to hear. Ken, thank you so much. We'll uh, we'll stay in touch. We'll talk soon. Thank you, bro. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See you.